On this episode, we're taking a look back at what it was like growing up during the golden age of the arcade. It's the search for Peacock Palace, and it's right here, right now, on McQuaid Arcade. Welcome to the very first episode of the McQuaid Arcade Podcast. I'm Barney. And I'm Biggs. And we're talking games, movies, tech, toys, and all things 80s. Peacock Palace was the first, the very first arcade we remember hanging out at uh, as kids. We are towards the tail end, I think, of Gen X. So we, uh, we came up right, I mean, at the same time as the arcade. We are the arcade generation. We... Started with it, we've grown old with it, it's changed, we've watched each other change, and uh, Peacock Palace, yeah. What uh, This place is so funny. I know we've talked about it a lot through the years, and I spent some time trying to, you know, the memories are hazy, quite literally, given the, the just the fog of smoke that hung in that place, but uh, I've tried to find evidence of it, and and details about it and it's been real hard to come by i found some mentions of it here and there one on a blog and in a couple sort of arcade classic arcade forums and it's hard to find much much info about what do you tell me about peacock palace what do you remember for me peacock palace was this kind of legendary place to go because it was really a treat we were not allowed to go very much we were as you say we were pretty little so we had to beg usually my dad to take us there and it was kind of off the beaten track off more of almost like a highway type road so you mm-hmm. couldn't you definitely couldn't walk there you had to park there and everything and you'd walk into this sort of dimly lit, smoky, kind of sweaty, stinky, crowded place with lights and sounds and tons of bodies and kind of push your way through to get to that change machine, which, you know, at our small height, that was the thing I could see most clearly, the light lighting up the word change and get that magical cascade of tokens pouring out. And then just basically hoping and praying that my dad would not get too angry or too antsy and let us play as long as we could kind of worming our way through all these people that were much bigger than us. I feel like there were a lot of teenagers and kind of young adults, um, who were a little bit unsavory, but all we were there was for the games. I don't remember my memories of it. And it's funny. These, your memories are so usually so rose tinted with nostalgia, but in my, in my memories, this place was, was pretty dark and gross and weirdly scary, but comforting at the same time. Yeah, from what I remember, the only light I can remember in this place was from the screens. There's loud music. And like you said, I, I don't have memories of any other kid being in there at the same time I was. They would I would go with uh, my oldest brother, who was quite a bit older than I was. And like you said, it was kind of an unsavory joint. There's a lot of stories about it. And we'd go in and he'd just be, sort of be like, all right, buddy, have fun. Hand me, some, hand me some quarters, some tokens. And he would be on his way and I would be sort of left to explore and they had a, a stool one of those heavy kind of library stools you know they used to have in the school libraries the wheels on it mm. and nobody else was using it because like i said i was the only child in this place so i would kind of drag it around with me to the various machines and uh yeah i remember loud music i remember one moment journey was playing on the radio as i arrived at the journey arcade game and i was kind of like whoa is the weird game 
with like pictures of the band members' heads on spaceships and stuff, and it was playing. It had it was a, a crazy machine. It actually had some kind of, I believe, tape player inside that would play music and voices and stuff. It was very weird. I remember they had a submarine game with like a periscope. I think. Yes, we had, and um, I think that was Seawolf. That might have been the game called Seawolf. Oh, yeah. Where you actually got to look through and you were, yeah, shooting at these other subs. That was amazing. We were so little. I remember I, I had to be held up to look into it properly because there oh, was no wow. easy way to, to see it. Yeah. There was a firefighter game. These, you know, the giant fire trucks, the giant fire engines that actually have a driver in the cab, but then there's also a driver at the very back of the fire truck with a big wheel kind of because it's kind of this weird segmented thing they mm-hmm. had a game somebody sat inside the cabinet and then somebody kind of stood at the back with another steering wheel and it was super fun never saw it anywhere else there was uh yeah i mean all the classics frogger i think i played a lot of frogger there very dark very weird place and there's stories about how this place came to an end right there's all sorts of i've heard everything from it, well, there was a fire. We know it burned down. It was in a it was in a little plaza, a little strip mall with a bowling alley that apparently was called Strike and Spare. And as soon as I read that, it like triggered in my in my childhood memory. Like, oh my god, I, I totally know that my family talked about this place. And so it burned down. I heard everything from, you know, the owner owed the wrong people money uh, to like an insurance fraud sort of thing. The ending of the place was was just as sketchy and mysterious as the place itself, so it's pretty, pretty fitting. A fitting end for a hive of scum, villainy, and video games. And two children who were allowed to go in there for some reason. <laughs> I, uh, I bet your I dad, also... like I said, my brother was, you know, he, he kind of fit in with the crowd there, but your dad, every time, was probably like, ugh, what are we doing? Like, seriously? What am my I doing here father, with my child? Yes. It was terrible. Well, the only redeeming thing was to the other side of Peacock Palace was a some kind of a, of a car uh, dealership or I don't know. There were these beautiful cars on display. I don't know if it was a museum. I don't remember what it was, but there was one car in particular. It was a, called the Excalibur. I think it was a British make automobile. I don't know if they even exist anymore, but it was this wild, almost looked like a car from the 1920s with these wild fenders and all this filigree and ornate stuff. And my dad loved that car and would love to just go over there and ogle that. So that was, you could often find him there while I was inside this dark and dank arcade trying to, trying to learn the ropes about video games. Wow. Crazy. The other place, the other big arcade, I mean, it it was funny back then. Arcades were clearly you know, the goal, they were the, the, the best place to be. But you could, I mean, games were everywhere. You could play arcade games everywhere. The other place in my mind that was our main sort of arcade spot was the polar opposite of Peacock Palace, Aladdin's Castle. That place was in a mall. It was brightly lit. It was nice. It was friendly. You felt safe there. Um, <laughs> apparently, it was owned by, at one point, uh, by Bally, Bally Entertainment, which is a you know a company, Chicago company, they originally did pinball machines. Supposedly, it was named after the Aladdin's Castle Funhouse at Riverview Park, that Chicago amusement park that was around, uh, I think, through the '60s. Um, and it was again where Peacock Palace. We can barely find evidence that it existed. Aladdin's Castle, the chain, at one point had almost 500 locations across the country. 
So it's funny, these two, these two very opposite places that we spent our, most of our arcade time. But like I said, we used to play in all sorts of places. Um, there were some restaurants. I mean, everywhere had, you know, had a Pac-Man machine at one point when Pac-Man fever was at its height, when not even a mask and social distancing could save you from Pac-Man fever. It was everywhere. It was on the radio. Um, that was crazy. That's one of those things that it's hard to explain to somebody who wasn't around back then just what a crazy big deal Pac-Man was. You know, and there have been big games since, um, but nothing like, like literally you couldn't go anywhere. Anywhere that was legally allowed to have a Pac-Man machine had one. I mean, everybody was playing Pac-Man. Everything from the music to the little toys and novelty items. I think one one of the things you may remember is I had a Pac-Man phone in my bedroom. It actually looked like Pac-Man. Then you unfolded it like a flip phone style. Oh my gosh! To yeah. actually talk into it. So yes, it was a cultural phenomenon that everybody knew about to the point where, to this very day, my dad, who really dislikes video games, if we show him any game, no matter how sophisticated, even if the horse's scrotum is actually retracting <laughs> given the cold weather, uh, he will look at it and. He he gives us that deadpan glare and says, Pac-Man, they're all Pac-Man to him. They're all <laughs> Pac-Man. Wow. That, ladies and gentlemen, was a, was a video game reference that wasn't just randomly talking about, about uh, horse nards. That's a thing in a game. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 2. Look it up. Maybe we'll do an episode about it sometime. I'm just laughing at my dumb Pac-Man fever joke. Um, <laughs> but we all had it. Yeah, we had... Um, I used to love, you know, there was a big deal about collectible little, not even, you couldn't even call them figures, like the California Raisins, those hard, rubber, unposable little guys. Um, I had a ton of Pac-Man ones. There were a ton of little cute little Pac-Man ones. We had Pac-Man cereal. It was everywhere. Pizza Hut. I remember whenever you went to a Pizza Hut, there was always a, I want to say it was a sit down, like a cocktail style Pac-Man machine. But games were everywhere. So we had, when we were little, we played at um, Peacock Palace and Aladdin's Castle. There was a restaurant, a pizza place in my neighborhood, in my neck of the woods, where there, uh, I played a ton of games. Bufo's, as you remember, they had my favorite pizza when I was a kid. I want to say they had a joust cabinet, Ms. Pac-Man Galaga pole position. My parents would, we would get pizza, and it was just the greasiest pizza um, and they would give me a few quarters at a time so that I had to come back and, and eat and I would just stuff my face. People were blotting with the napkins, right? Yes. You'd have like four napkins of, of grease sitting on your plate. Well, I wasn't, but other people were. <laughs> the grease went directly on my hands. And I remember the, the, the controls of every cabinet just had this slick veneer to them, this layer, this permanent layer of pizza grease that was part of the, part of the charm. Part of the tournament added to the challenge, you know, to actually be able to play a game with that was the next level, you see. You couldn't hold on to anything. Couldn't <laughs> hold on. The grease was spilling down into the stool. You were slipping off. We had, uh, there was a burger joint, as I'm sure you remember, Stasha's growing up that we used to hang out at. There was, so in our, growing up uh, in our town, there were two sort of big burger joints. There was Stasha's and there was Michael's. And generally, you were either a Stasha's kid or a Michael's kid, right? We were Stasha's kids. My we were wife, kids all yeah, the way. was a Michael's kid, and it still causes problems in our marriage to this day. Still causes strife in our marriage. But uh, and she eventually, like, she always wins because she says, "Yeah, Michael's is still open. How Stasha's doing? It's gone. Stasha's gone. So 
Uh, it's hard for when she says institution. I guess it, it really I, was. It absolutely Stasha's was. More. And we liked the Stasha's food. We ate our weight in Stasha's uh, pizza burgers. But <laughs> Michael's definitely had the better game selection. I remember the day we walked over. So we would eat it. We eat at Stasha's. Walk over to Michael's and play games there. And I remember the day we first found Double Dragon there. There was a line of kids. The games were in this weird little alcove kind of hallway. And I remember there was a line yes. of kids. And we were like, what in the world? I looked it up. This would have been um, 87. Double Dragon first came out in 87. So we would have been in our mid to late 30s. Um, <laughs> and we, <laughs> we were young. We were children. Um, and we checked it out. And it blew our minds. We had never seen it before. We spent all of our money on Double Dragon. That I remember we were so excited for it to come to the uh, NES. I remember the Nintendo Fun Club newsletter, the pre-Nintendo Power newsletter they they sent out um, that it said it was finally coming to the NES. I want to say the next year. I want to say '88, but that was that was a, that was an awesome magical gaming memory. It really was just the the kind of graphics that we saw, the ability to fight together too, right? It was one of the first big games where you actually got yes. to play with another person cooperatively, and I think yeah. that blew our mind too. Uh, and in a weird way, maybe was responsible for the concept of McQuaid Arcade, right? I think there's a touch of a uh, double dragon in there for sure. Billy and, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's Billy's brother's name. Billy and Johnny, Jimmy, Danny. Did you ever see the movie? Did you see the double dragon movie they made? I never saw it. I just knew oh. about it. But right, Billy and Jimmy. Billy Lee and, and Jimmy. Jimmy Lee. Those are the brothers. Nice. Billy and Jimmy. You had the rare joy as a kid of having an arcade cabinet in your very home. Yes, that was an incredible birthday gift and was made possible by a friend of the family who I think owned a bar or something and had this machine. And uh, my parents were able to get it for me as a big surprise for, I think, just a few hundred dollars when normally those things were pretty darn expensive. Um, But woke up and went downstairs and had Buck Rogers, a really fun kind of a third person shooter. You know, you're kind of behind your ship. You could see your ship, um, but it was sort of a shooter on rails. Mm-hmm. Really fun, really, uh, really cleverly done with beautiful graphics and great sound, big explosions. Felt a little bit like Star Wars where you're kind of going over the surface of a planet. Um, and we played a ton of that game. And it had a cool joystick, didn't it? Like a cool kind of yoke style joystick with a trigger. Yes, it definitely did. And um, and I, I believe there were different versions of that cabinet, like with so many games. Now, ours was the upright version. Right. Um, and it was like almost like the Tron type, you know, a big joystick with a trigger and it had some buttons on top, too. But I, I wonder if there was another version of that that had more of a true yoke style. Um, one of the neat things about this this joystick as well is there was a big red light. So when you pulled the trigger, it actually lit up. So it gave you this kind right. of a visual feedback that you were firing. Man, the hours we put into that in your basement, and I was just blown away. I was like, you don't have to put quarters in? You're like, no, just look, and you just flip the little thing inside. It was amazing. God, so many hours on that thing. In uh, in high school, we were, Aladdin's Castle kind of stuck around through our entire arcade career through high school. I think that mall that it was in closed maybe late in high school or, or right after high school, but Aladdin's Castle, we spent a lot of time there playing Stun Runner. That was one of our big ones we would play there. Um and an arcade opened up near our house, a giant, massive arcade called Super Just Games. Not just 
Just Games. It was just Super Just Games. We were so confused. We were like, wait, where's Just Games? This isn't Just Games. It's Super Just Games. And that was right I'll, in the, I'll take just the era. take Just Games. I don't need the Super. You can keep the Super part. Hold the Super. No, that's all we had. Uh, that And that was right when um, Street Fighter 2 hit. And that was the big arcade quarter muncher for us. That, and then Mortal Kombat came around. There was also, I've been trying to remember the name of it. There was a, a giant... It was a punching game. It had it was it was re- very long, and had a punching bag sort of thing, a paddle sort of thing that you would hit, and it would measure your punch. But it wasn't one of those old timey, you know, like carnival kind of things. It was a video game, and it was I can't for the life of me remember. We had a friend Mike, who would uh, just spend his <laughs> spend all his money trying to just punch, get the record on punching this thing. Between that and Street Fighter Two, we uh, we had a good time there. And it's funny, into adulthood, like I said, we've been around since the, the beginning of the arcade, and we've seen it change so much, right? In the early days, and as we, we got older and video games changed, home consoles changed so much that eventually they got so good that there was, the games were so good there was no reason to, you know, go to an arcade anymore. Why keep throwing quarters in a machine when for, you know, 50 bucks you can have a game that looks as good. In some cases, better. I remember at Dave & Buster's, which is sort of where the arcade eventually went, sort of evolved into this big uh, experience with a bar, food, and cabinets that were the kind of thing you couldn't have at home, right? Some kind of big contraption you ride on or shooting thing. I remember this was uh, after the Sega Dreamcast had come out, and one of the launch games was Soul Calibur. I played the arcade version at Dave & Buster's, and the home version, the Dreamcast Dreamcast uh, version looked so much better. It was really surprising. And that was sort of like, even back then, I was like, huh, okay, like this is why arcade games are changing so much. There was that. There was uh, Gameworks, I think was another one. Did you ever go to one of those? I think I did. I think my cousins used to go to Gameworks. Well, and it makes me think too that it's very much what we saw now happening with movie theaters that Mm. the games you said throw another quarter in, but you know, that was only when we were really little, as we got older, it became 50 cents, then a dollar, then a buck 50. Right. So they kept getting bigger and more expensive. And it really makes me think it's analogous to what we're seeing with the movie theaters. They've gotten bigger and more expensive. And now, you know, what used to be a few dollars to go to the movies is now, you know, $50 evening or a hundred dollar evening for a family. Um, And meanwhile, it's against the backdrop of the home systems getting better and better and better and more sophisticated. So it's so interesting to see this analogy playing out. Yeah, in this in this crazy, well, especially now, this crazy, you know, situation we're in where movie theaters are shut down completely and we're wondering what the heck are they going to look like, you know, moving forward when some movies have, some studios have decided to sort of forego the traditional window of uh, the theater theatrical release and release stuff on, on demand and the sort of effect and ripple effect that's going to have on things. Uh, it is that is a great point how theaters and arcades have sort of grown in this similar way in the you know Dave and Buster's era when video games were bigger to try and give you a different experience than you could have at home. I'm sure they cost you know the average cabinet probably cost twenty thousand dollars or something crazy like that, or they had to charge uh, at least a couple bucks ahead. And I think that's when they started getting into like the game card. Right, you weren't putting in money anymore. You would just go pay twenty bucks get a card, swipe it as much as you could. And before you knew it, you know, you were out of, you were out of money and you weren't maybe paying attention so much as, you know, individual prices. Um, That was an interesting period in the arcade sort of 
pantheon. And now, you know, an arcade to my kids is Chuck E. Cheese, right? You go to an arcade mm. to win stuff. You play games that give you spit out tickets or now they have, you know, virtual tickets. It's all on a card. Um, so when I would explain, like you would go, they have one of the, the Chuck E. Cheese like places we have around here has a row of classic games, Donkey Kong and stuff that you can play for quarters. And, uh, one day we went and I was playing Donkey Kong and he was watching me and I, I finished my game and he's looking around and he's like, what do we get? Where are the tickets? Like, what do we, you know, I'm like, you played the game, son. That's what you got. <laughs> the like, journey wow. yeah. was the reward. He's like, great. Enjoy that journey while I enjoy my candy and piece of plastic junk I'm going to get from the, the prize counter. And now it's come back around. We have these, these experiences, these, these bars, these arcades that are sort of embracing that original retro experience again, where we're seeing more of these old cabinets pop up in places. One of our favorite spots for pizza in the world, Ian's Pizza in, uh, in Milwaukee, has you go upstairs and there's this beautiful game room, right? With all these old arcades. And that's one of the reasons why we love to go there. It was such a treat to have like that retro throwback experience. But in the way that so many retro experiences are curated, sometimes if you really go play the old game, it doesn't quite live up to it. But everything was so nice and clean there. The pizza is outstanding and all the machines are sort of beautifully maintained. So you really got to relive it in this in this really, I don't know, kind of a wholesome way or kind of a restored mm-hmm. way as opposed to going to some place like Peacock Palace where the things are broken. Um, and I love the, the birth of these, these more bar type ones, like the Emporium, um, that are, you know, a few of them in Chicago area where they're truly designed for us old people and the kids can't even get in cause they're truly a bar. Uh, so they, they've really kind of separated these, these concepts for the people that really grew up with them. I don't think our kids are going to have any connection to these at all. You know, I wonder if in jo- I was talking to my wife about this, you know, we were talking about the show that what we chose for our first topic and how, Everything, all of these arcades throughout the years have been geared towards us specifically. And she's like, I'm not just talking about your demographic. She's like, I'm talking about you guys. Like when you were kids at the birth of the arcade, it, it was designed to entice you and bring you in and throw your quarters in. When you had your Sega Dreamcast and, and you know, PS2, it was designed to give you a different experience because now you could drink too and you could have, you know, gross hot wings while you played and whatever. And all these different stages. And now, like you said, we're back to this experience that's kind of just for us, right? We can't even, the kids can't even come. And I was thinking about how our generation values these things from our childhood in such a different way than others do. Like our fathers, whatever toys they played with or shows they watched, you know, my dad wasn't walking around at 60, 70 years old with a, with a Lone Ranger t-shirt on or a, you know, a picture of the whatever awful toys he had, the can he used to kick down the street or whatever, you know, and here I am with my, (laughs) (laughs) with my Optimus Prime t-shirt and my, you know, um, every generation obviously thinks that their time, you know, was better. The music's better, the whatever is better, but we're sort of the first generation that can really like embrace it in this very specific way. We can, we can show our sort of fandom of the things we grew up with, um, it's, it's just true. interesting and in how the arcade has followed us. And I wonder our kids, you know, we're dressing our kids up in classic Nintendo t-shirts and Star Wars t-shirts. I wonder moving forward, is my kid going to look back on 
I don't know, Minecraft this way? Or is he going to, you know, I think this is really a, a very much. And one day there might still be, you know, the, the 80s retro experience is so popular now. Maybe that will stay popular. Maybe one day he'll be at a bar playing, you know, Joust or Asteroids or something because it's a fun, neat experience. But we have this special tie to it that's, that's sort of just for us. And it's, it's fascinating to see where it's, where it's going to go from here. I think, yeah, the kids of today will be too busy streaming Fortnite on Twitch, but we yep. have created this tangible nostalgia, right? We bring it back. We get to celebrate it. We get to put our wallpaper on our phone as our favorite classic games. We get to have our reproductions, right, of some of our favorite toys in all these different ways. And I feel really lucky about that. I think it's worth celebrating and worth thinking about because those things shaped us. Yeah, and we're in a, we're in a cool place to be able to continue to enjoy them. I know, you know, we surround ourselves with things that remind us of things that we like, right? I, I turn around and look at my shelf and I have this big one sixth scale, Michael Keaton, Batman action figure that I just, I just enjoy having because that time was such a, such a special time. And the arcade is so much, what's so cool is now the opportunity at home to be able to play some of these old games in so many different ways different retro game collections being released for different consoles, little mini arcade games. Um, it's all just being shown this reverence, and it's it's just a cool time. And it really makes me think of how, how great a time it was back then growing up. And I'm really excited to have McQuaid Arcade to be a part of that tangible nostalgia. We're going to hopefully explore all these different topics in detail, share our memories, share our ideas, and keep linking it with the new, all the things that are coming out, so many of which were inspired by and shaped by as well these classic experiences that we so love and are so close in our hearts. For sure. That's why we started this. Um, we're going to keep talking about it, the new, the old the games, the movies, the stuff we love right here at McQuaid Arcade. Any, anything else? Any other thoughts? Man, this, is a, this has been a great trip down memory lane here. We're going to keep it going. Future shows, videos, anything else before we say goodbye to our new, our new friends here? And some merch. Keep an eye out for some merchandise. We are already sporting the McQuaid Arcade official t-shirts, and I have to say they are pretty darn cool. They're nice. It's all about the merch, baby. It's like space balls. That's how <laughs> merchandising. And on that note, I think we will close up our first episode and we tell everyone that we're looking forward to seeing you all at the next one. In the meantime, stay limber. Stay. Li- I'm working on it. I got to still workshop this thing. I was trying to think of a catchphrase. I, maybe look, maybe it won't work. Maybe you guys will give us some feedback. Tell us what you think. Uh, but that, that's, that's what I'm putting out there today. I, I'm taking it. That's what you're going with. I think that's the best sign off ever. Remember kids. <laughs> Stay limber.